Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 65 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and here we are, the first post-trade deadline episode. It is finally over. We finally have answers to all of the questions that you guys have been asking when you submit questions for the show for, I don't know, maybe three or four months. We had been waiting, anticipating, expecting that the Rangers would make some kind of move, maybe two moves, maybe even three. Well, I think they surprised all of us by ending up with four new players, five trades in total, four new players for the New York Rangers coming out of this trade deadline. And we had a feeling, I'd been telling you guys for quite a while, that the Rangers were going to be active. Chris Drury was going to be aggressive. He wanted to bolster this roster and put them in a better position to not only make the playoffs, which obviously it looks like they're well on their way to doing, but having some success once they got there, especially given some of the flaws and issues that we had seen kind of exposed on the roster over the course of the season, wanted to reinforce. And he really, I think, all said and done, did a pretty good job. It's really hard to take issue with a lot of what the Rangers did. Now, the biggest addition I think you can say is Andrew Kopp, the forward that they got from the Winnipeg Jets. We're actually going to have Scott Billick on the show this week. He covers the Jets for the Winnipeg Sun. Really insightful conversation with him where we we do a lot of cop talk and he'll really give you guys a, a good idea of what kind of player the Rangers are getting in cop. But we also get into some other stuff as far as the direction that the Jets are heading and maybe maybe another possible trade down the line between the Rangers and Jets that I think some people around the league are are sort of keeping their eye on. So that's a little teaser for you. We'll get to Scott for this week's interview in just a little bit. But Cop is one of the players they bring in. They also bring in Tyler Mott, who is a bottom six, hardworking PK kind of guy from the Vancouver Canucks. They also bring in Frank Vetrano, who they acquired last week, I believe right before we recorded. So we've already talked about Vetrano, but that was a forward they got from the Florida Panthers, who they're hoping will bring a little offensive punch. And the fourth player they brought in is a veteran defenseman, 35-year-old Justin Braun from the Philadelphia Flyers. So all told, quite the haul for Chris Drury. And again, you can quibble maybe with, which players he picked, which players the Rangers ended up deciding on if you want to. I personally think that they made some pretty good choices as far as the players that they targeted. I don't think they gave up a whole lot to get them. The, the one guy and, and the, the biggest package, of course, is the, what they sent to the Jets for cop, sending two second-round picks and prospect Morgan Barron. One of those second-round picks could turn into a first-rounder. 
if the Rangers make the Eastern Conference Final, although I think if that happens, most of you, I would think, would not be complaining. But that, that's the most significant package. Clearly, the rest was just mid-round picks that they gave up to get Vetrano, Mott, and Braun. And we'll get into the specifics of how those guys fit, what they bring to the table. But I, I think the overriding message that came out of this, and the thing that I've written about and we've talked about on the podcast before that I thought was important for Chris Drury to do was signal to this team that because they had racked up so many wins and because they have this core of stars that we feel like are capable of matching up with the stars on on pretty much any team in the league, that the depth of this roster had been an issue, the five-on-five play of this roster had been an issue, and for Drury to give them the best chance to win once they got to the playoffs, they needed to add, and they needed to build around those stars in a better way. And, And I think that with the versatility and the differing skill sets of the guys that they brought in, you feel a whole lot better about what you're looking at as far as this roster, at least on paper, because the first game together, Tuesday night in New Jersey, did obviously, obviously did not go as planned. But on paper, when you're drawing up lineup combinations and you're thinking of the possibilities for Gerard Gallant moving forward, it's hard to even quantify how much better you feel about what they're working with right now versus a little over a week ago before the Vachano trade, when we know that the, the bottom six especially was filled with, let's call it what it is, guys that were probably more AHL type of guys than NHL type of guys. Now those guys become depth guys who you feel you can plug in if need be because of injury or whatever it might be. But you've upgraded in in three different spots as far as your forward goes and one spot as far as your decor goes. So I think that this was the right move from Chris Drury. I also think that he was pretty calculated as far as what he gave up. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But it was the right message to send because as much as we think this Rangers team is going to contend for several years to come, you never know. And what you know right now is that this team is going to the playoffs. They do have a goalie who, while he's had a little slip in the last few games, which I think we're going to talk about in the final segment of the program, has undoubtedly been the best goalie in the NHL this year. That is the number one X factor for the Rangers. But on top of that, you have three forwards in Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, and Chris Kreider, who are either 30 years old or getting close to 30, in their primes right now, playing at extremely high levels. But can you bank on that every season moving forward? Can you bank on Igor Shesterkin as much as we might think he'll be one of the best goalies in the league for another 8, 9, 10 years? You never know. There could be a down year for him. There could be an injury-riddled year for him. So I think seizing this opportunity that's in front of them, given all of that, was an important step for the Rangers to make. And of course, one of the stars, when I mention stars, that we need to mention is Adam Fox as well. So that core of five players... Shesterkin, Zabanajad, Kreider, Panarin, and Fox. Building around those guys was key, and I really think the Rangers accomplished that in a pretty significant way with this trade deadline. So you never know how it might turn out. If they go to the first round and they end up losing, maybe you'll look back on this and say, I wish they wouldn't have given up six total draft picks to bring these players in. But I still would look back on it and believe it was the right move because had you not made these moves, 
what kind of message would you have been sending? You you basically would have been told in the, t- telling these guys, well, you know, we're happy with just getting in. Well, I don't think that's necessarily the right message to send. And I do think both Chris Kreider, Ryan Strom, a couple of the guys that we spoke to on Tuesday said that this was a very meaningful thing for them because it, it, it signaled the belief in them. They talked about how in past trade deadlines, the Rangers had always been looking at getting rid of players and how deflating that was for the locker room. And Kreider and Strom said they had been texting each other on Monday and talking about how excited they were because clearly it's much different this time around for the team. So all in all, I think Rangers fans, you should feel pretty good about what they accomplished, not only on Monday, but also in getting Fedrano last week. And so now what, what you're looking at with this roster, and I told you guys this repeatedly, forward depth was the number one thing on the to-do list for Chris Drury. I know some of you had your hopes up for maybe the Rangers landing Hampus Lindholm or Mark Giordano or Jacob Chikrin, some of those top defensemen that had been either rumored or eventually did get traded. I don't believe that that was ever something that they were really prepared to push hard for. I don't doubt that they made calls on all those guys. I've told you guys this before that everything I've heard is that Drury was very active on the phone and had dialogue with pretty much every GM in the league and I'm sure explored a million different possibilities. Maybe not a million, but you know what I'm saying. But defensemen, based on the way that this team is is laid out, the Rangers are very happy with the top four. Fox and Lindgren, they've had their hiccups lately, but Fox is a Norris Trophy winner, and Lindgren has been great for the most part with him in their three seasons together. And then that Miller-Trupa pair. If you look at the usage for them recently, Gallant has been using them like a top pair in a lot of situations. Miller, in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of many others, has really taken off in the second half of the year. He looks like a guy that could be a top four staple for you moving forward. Truba is definitely having his best season as a Ranger, so they feel good about that top four. And you could look at the bottom pair and say, okay, maybe you know they could use a little upgrade over Nemeth. My opinion on that, as I told you guys before, was any upgrade you got in the, the price range where it was going to be cheap enough that you didn't feel like you were giving up too much to get him was probably going to be a marginal upgrade. I, I definitely think that Braun could be viewed as an upgrade over Nemeth, but it also looks like now it's not going to be Nemeth who's coming out of the lineup. As we saw on Tuesday night, it's going to be Braden Schneider. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into the lineup stuff. But adding a depth defenseman, somebody who could play on the bottom pair, I don't think it's a it was a bad move or the end of the world by any stretch, but clearly you can see what the Rangers were focused on, and that was the forward depth. And that's why they went out and acquired not two, but three. I thought they were aiming for two. They end up getting three forwards. And it really changes the whole complexion of this lineup when you're talking about Cop, Mott, and Vetrano. You get a little bit of everything. Cop, as Scott will describe him in just a few minutes, because I already interviewed him, so I know what he says. He is what Scott called a Swiss army knife. He's the guy that the Rangers coveted the most of the people that they brought in. And you're going to see he's going to do a lot of different things for this team. Also having, I think, what many people would argue is his best offensive season. He's not known as a big-time point producer. That That is not what his role is going to be. But he's got 35-plus points this season on pace for around 50. He's a guy who contribute can contribute enough offensively for you to feel really good about him in a third-line role. And if he had to play a second-line role, I, I think he's a guy who 
is probably better than a lot of other guys the Rangers have used, especially at right wing on that second line this season. Mott, he's going to be more of an energizer bunny, a defensive guy, a PK guy. He started on the fourth line on Tuesday night at left wing, and I think that will probably be his role moving forward, although they're definitely going to experiment. But Mott is a guy who people from Vancouver told me, this guy, as far as his work ethic, his speed, his his playing speed, how hard he plays, and I, I definitely thought that that jumped out to me in his first game with the Rangers against the Devils on Tuesday. He's going to be that four-checker and that bottom six type of energy guy that I think Drury and Gallant really value. And then Vetrano, listen, he's not going to be a bona fide surefire top six guy. The Rangers are going to give him that opportunity. But what he does, they believe, especially with his shot, is he does bring some goal scoring ability. You look at his history, he's eclipsed 20 goals before in seasons with the Panthers. And the Rangers also do feel like he's got some speed and he's a hardworking guy as well. But but the main thing that he brings is that they think he can provide a little offense. And because of that shot, They want to see how he plays with Panarin and Strom right now, who are more passers, playmakers, guys with really good vision. They wanted somebody on that line who they felt like would pull the trigger and be able to shoot, and Vetrano is going to get a crack at doing that now, and we'll see how it goes. It's looked better, I think, in some games than it has in others, but it's still way too early to judge. They've only had, I think, four games now together. So again, you've got different skill sets, a variety there, but ultimately, what that gives is Gerard Gallant options. There's so many different ways you can play this. We talked about Vetrano on the second line, but when Capo Caco comes back, which Chris Drury told us they're aiming and hoping for early April, when Capo Caco comes back, if Vetrano's going really well, you can keep him on the second line, play Caco on the third. If not, you can put Caco on the second, move Vetrano down to the third. Cop, it looks like they 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 want him to succeed in that third line role. They started him at left wing with Heedle in the middle, but Kopp is a guy who has a lot of experience playing center, likes playing center, is a really good faceoff guy. So even what you saw on Tuesday, even though Heedle was technically playing center, Kopp took the vast majority of the faceoffs, and he's like 54% this season on faceoffs. So I think you're going to see him take pretty much all the draws for the third line, assuming he sticks there, although he Gallant did move him up later in the game once things fell apart. And then Mott, on that fourth line, listen, you've got so many different options for how to make up your fourth line now. The Rangers last night went with Mott, Goudreau, and Reeves, which I think you can easily see the fourth line being the fourth line moving forward. And putting Barclay Goudreau on your fourth line, you know, you can say whatever you want about him. That's a damn good fourth liner. And then you also have for depth, Dryden Hunt, Kevin Rooney is coming back. They still have Brodzinski and McKaig. There's just a lot of different ways that Gallant can play this. And and the depth in this lineup, that is the biggest word here, depth. And and Chris Drury quite a few times said versatility. Gallant's got a lot of different ways he can play this. But I think those lines, I had written about them on Wednesday morning, I'm sorry, on Tuesday morning, and then we saw them play out that way on Tuesday night. That's kind of the starting point, but you're also going to see some experimentation, especially if they play the way they did against the Devils, because that was a pretty poor showing Once they got to the second and third periods, we'll probably talk about that game a little bit more later in the show. Last thing on Cop, and we're going to talk about him a bunch with Scott, but I did want to give you guys this little bit of insight. When Tomas Hurdle 
re-signed an extension with the Sharks, and we've talked about Hurdle a lot on this show before. When Joe Pavelski signed an extension with the Dallas Stars, and Claude Giroux was ultimately the best forward who got traded this year going to the Florida Panthers, but it never seemed like that was a realistic option, whether it was him not go- wanting to go to the Rangers, you know, the the complications that might come when you're making a trade within the division, although obviously the Flyers were okay with making trades with the Rangers because they did it with Braun. But I just never got the sense that Giroux, although the Rangers I'm sure would have liked to been in on that, he was never realistic for them. So what it came down to when you took those guys off the board was that I think the Rangers really wanted to come out of this deadline getting one of either Cop or Ricard Raquel, who we've talked about before from the Anaheim Ducks. And while Raquel is a guy who I think from a skill standpoint stands out more, more of a goal scorer, if you watch his highlights or if you've watched him play, he's definitely got more flash to his game than Cop does. And I definitely think as far as all the available options, he probably might have fit in best with Panarin and Strom if you're looking for a guy who can score. So you could definitely have seen him slot into that second line. But the Rangers poked around on him a lot. I definitely think they were aggressively pursuing him. But when it came down to making the choice of who were they willing to really up the ante with and pay the price they were going to have to pay to get them, Cop became the preference because he's just the type of player, as you're going to hear Scott describe shortly, who I think fits the philosophy of Drury and Gallant as far as being defensively responsible, as far as being that quote-unquote 200-foot player, as far as being a guy who will forecheck and can play power play and penalty kill and win faceoffs and do all of these different things and play multiple positions. We see how much they love using a guy like Gaudreau in all these different spots. So I think Cop ultimately when it came down to deadline day, was the guy that the Rangers went after the most aggressively. They, they identified him as the primary guy that they wanted wanted to come out of this deadline with. I think Raquel was probably number two on that list. And, and they went out and got him. And now Chris Drury, I believe, really did not want to give up a first-round pick. And even more so than that, did not want to give up his top prospects, specifically Brennan Othman and Braden Schneider, and then there's a whole host of others that he he ended up holding on to as well. But Othman and Schneider, I think, were the top two. He, from what I've heard, really prioritized holding on to the top prospects and, and felt better about parting with his draft picks. Because the Rangers, if you look at this prospect pool, the last five drafts, they loaded up on players. They went the last few years where they were considered one of the better prospect pools in the league. You heard Scott Wheeler on the show a couple weeks ago talk about how, you know, now they're more middle of the pack, but that's because all these guys have graduated. If you consider Lafreniere and Chesterkin and Miller and Kako and all these really high quality young players that the Rangers have on their NHL roster, if you still count them as quote unquote prospects, they still would be one of the best prospect pools in the league. But they still, even after having graduated those guys, have a host of guys, specifically defensemen and wingers, defensemen being their deepest position, I would say, winger being the next deepest, they still have a whole host of guys who they feel really good about. And ultimately, they're going to have to deal some of them because as we've talked about before, especially on the blue line, 
they can't fit all of these guys into the NHL lineup. So as much as you like to hold on to your draft capital, if they just keep drafting all these guys and and, and deepening that prospect pool, what are you going to do with all those guys eventually? You're not going to be able to fit them all in the NHL lineup. You're going to have to trade some. So rather than drafting and then trading, I think the Rangers, because they are very much in win-now mode, preferred to get rid of draft picks. And they, they did not want to, as I said, get rid of a first rounder. But to make the cop deal happen, I think Drury ended up landing on a pretty decent compromise by saying we will allow one of the second round picks to escalate to a first rounder if we get to the Eastern Conference final. You don't see a whole lot of GMs do that. And I think that that was his way of sorting me, of sort of meeting Winnipeg in the middle, but without completely caving. So I think that that was a pretty good way to maneuver it. You could sit here and say, listen, giving up two first round picks, one of them that could turn into a, I mean, I'm sorry, two second round picks, one of them that could turn into a first rounder, plus Morgan Barron, that's a lot for a rental. That's a lot for a guy who might only play 20 something games with the team if they don't go far in the playoffs. But at the same time, I don't think those were premium assets. It's not an outright first-round pick. It's not Othman. It's not Schneider. And they still came out of this with a lot of their other top prospects. They didn't trade Nils Lundqvist. They didn't trade Zach Jones. They didn't trade Matthew Robertson. They didn't trade Will Cooley. They didn't trade Brett Berard. They didn't trade Dylan Garand. Those are the top prospects in the organization right now. They also didn't trade Vitaly Kratsov. I think, as I've told you guys before, that situation is going to drag out they're ultimately going to end up trading him. It's a matter of when is the timing best, but that's another asset that they have at their disposal moving forward. And those assets, I think, could come in handy this summer for reasons that we'll talk about in the second half of the show. But Drury prioritized keeping those prospects and preferred to give up draft picks. You saw that strategy play out. And I think given the situation they're in right now, it was a a pretty sound strategy. So... With that, we're going to end this portion of the show. I feel like I could I could offer a lot more thoughts, but I know some of your Twitter questions are going to we're going to dive deeper on specific things. So I'll wait on, on some of that stuff that I want to touch on. And for now, let's get to Scott. It's been a busy few days for the New York Rangers who have four new additions after this trade deadline. And the headliner of those additions is Andrew Kopp. So to give us a little insight into what exactly the Rangers are getting with Kopp, I reached out to Scott Billick, who covers the Winnipeg Jets for the Winnipeg Sun. And we're going to pick his brain a little bit. So, Scott, thanks for joining us. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. And, and thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, of course. I appreciate you carving out the time. I know this is a, a, a very busy time of year for pretty much every team, whether they're buying or selling or, or in between, which it kind of seems like the Jets are. So we'll get into that. But I, the, the pl- place I just want to start generally is it, it, for Rangers fans, what what if what comes to your mind first and foremost as far as what they should know about Andrew Kopp? Uh, yeah, maybe one of the best Swiss Army knives in the NHL. I mean, I, I you know, that's kind of the way that I would. Um, put it here's a guy that you know depending you know what happens in the playoffs for the rangers if it's a top six guy if it's a bottom you know whatever like if if, if your top line center goes down uh, and andrew cop can fill that role uh, you know a winger goes down andrew cop can pop up into the top line and play there and i believe that even happened uh on uh, it's tuesday it's wednesday on Tuesday night, uh, when you guys lost, uh, what was it, seven something? Yeah, seven, seven four to the Devils. Seven four. 
yeah, I, I believe that Andrew even moved up to the top line there with Mika. Um, so yeah, it, it, that's kind of what he does. He's a hard nosed player, very good um, defensively. Probably that's his, you know, that's his biggest mo is his defensive play. Can chip in offensively. Um, you know, he's he's nothing if not unspectacular offensively. But it, it's not that he, you know he's just not a flashy a flashy player. But he gets it done. You know, good on the forecheck. Um, can make some really nice passes. Uh, you know, th- that's sort of his thing. He'll grind it out in front of the net, behind the net, whatever it is. I mean, this is the guy who carved out a you know a career and became a wanted man at, at the trade deadline from several teams from just being a consistent, consistent offensive player, very dependable. Um, and and you know, yeah, like I said, you know, it, it, it he's one of the best kind of, you know, jack of all trade type of players in the NHL. And and that's what makes him so, you know, such a hot commodity. And, you know, I think the Rangers, um, you know, it, it, it's not maybe some of the big names at the, at the deadline, um, but he is a guy that, that, that can really kind of, I don't know if you want to call it the glue or, or whatever, but he's good and, and he has tons of leadership. Um, so it's just, it's things like that with Andrew that, that really stand out and, uh, you know, rarely has an off night. Um, you know, he, he's just probably a coach's dream. Uh, I imagine he'll fit in seamlessly with, with Gerard there. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, just, uh, I think it was a great pickup by the Rangers. You know, you can argue that maybe they, they, they paid too much or whatever. Um, you know, I thought, I thought it was a good deal for both sides. Um, you know, it maybe just ends up being a rental for New York depending on how that goes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Andrew's a, Andrew's a good player uh, and, a, and a good person. And, you know, I imagine once you guys uh, get to talk to him a bit more in the media, um, you know, you'll find a, a guy that uh, rarely doesn't speak his mind. Um, will pretty much always tell you what's on his mind. Um, so he's very honest too. Um, and uh, yeah, just, a, you know, he's just good on and off the ice the role that he played with the Jets, I, I think at the end he was centering the third line. Is that correct? Or did he move around too much to really pinpoint one role? Yeah. So when he got traded, he played the last, his last game for the Jets. He was playing center because Adam Lowry was out in COVID protocol. So, um, and you know, that just kind of goes to show, right? I mean, he, but he was playing primarily Andrew Kopp played on third line left wing with Adam Lowry um, throughout his career here in Winnipeg. Um you know, a few for a few seasons that line. I mean, those two were some of the best, um, you know, shutdown lines in in NHL. And during the 2017-18 season, arguably the best shutdown line in the NHL as the Jets went on to win 52 games that year, season high, um, and went to the Western Final. Um, and so, you know, that that's the type of thing. So he can be very good at that. But he has played as high as you know, top line right wing. He's played top line center at times he's played second line center um so yeah like he's been all over the place i mean here's a guy too um who's prolific on the penalty kill one of the reasons why winnipeg's penalty kill um turned it around this year um you know and the only i guess the only knock on 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 andrew cop is just durability at times right i mean that's the only thing he's only played 82 games once He's already had one concussion this year. He kind of got blown up by Oscar Sundquist after he came back from that. Um, Oscar Sundquist, I don't think Oscar got traded from St. Louis. I can't remember where he went, but um, that's who he got blown up by. And they thought he had another concussion this year. That would have been his fifth in his career so far. But that one, fortunately for Andrew, um, turned out not to be 
not to be uh, the dreaded concussion. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so he's, he was back playing. But, um, yeah, I mean, that would be the only thing that you would worry about with Andrew is, is kind of the head injuries and that sort of thing. But, you know, other than that, yeah, um, you know, he's, yeah, can play anywhere and has played anywhere with Winnipeg. So at what point, you know, it sounds like he was really well-liked in Winnipeg. At yeah. what point did it become clear to you or clear to people around the team that he was going to be moved? Um, yeah, you'd probably, well, depends on what you believe on when it comes to arbitration. And if, you know, I think it's the number is like roughly two thirds of guys who, who end up going to arbitration aren't there by the time they're, uh, you know, I guess team control ends. Um, but no, I think there was a, a large push, um, even up until last year before they avoided arbitration last year, um, for, you know, for the first time when they, after they had gone two years previous to it, you know, I think last year when they avoided arbitration, um, but Andrew only signed a one-year deal, um, you know, that was going to walk them right into unrestricted free agency. And, and, you know, it just didn't work for the Jets. Um, <clears throat> the problem is, you know, Andrew Kopp is a good player. Nothing wrong, you know, obviously with his player. It's it's money and in the way that the Jets, you know, under the cap, they, they can't, they couldn't afford to pay Andrew probably in the range of five, maybe, you know, to the five to five and a half million he was wanting, right? And then, you know, you kind of look at comparables as we do up here often and, you know, kind of in that Zach Hyman range uh, of money, um, that's kind of where he was kind of pegged last off season when Zach Hyman, uh, uh, after Zach Hyman had gone to Edmonton there. Um, and so that's kind of one of those things where I just don't think he fit in the cap and the jets, you know, they have some players, they, they just re-signed Christian Reichel who's a prospect forward. Um, and he's kind of Andrew Cop light here. And so they can get him for a little bit cheaper than Andrew, or a lot cheaper to be fair to, to Andrew and, and the jets have to, pay for a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's going to have a contract coming up and you got to kind of figure out what you're doing with some of your other guys in a couple of years time, you're going to have contracts like Mark Shifley's and Connor Hellebuck's will be a big one too coming up. So a lot of future stuff here. So you couldn't give Andrew Kopp, you know, likely the five years that he wanted in a deal and that five to maybe five and a half that, that he was looking for. And it just didn't work. And Kevin Shovel Day off the general manager here, um, even said that on, on, on Monday after the trade deadline ended, he held court with the media here. You know, it's just, it just didn't work. And so, you know, they, they, I, I think Andrew probably would have stayed in Winnipeg. I, I don't think that was ever an issue. Um, you know, Winnipeg kind of gets that, that bad rap of, you know, guys don't want to play here and all that sort of thing. But I think Andrew Cobb wanted to play here and would have resigned here for the right dollar amount. Um, what he figured is fair. Um, but when he bet on himself last year, when he went to arbitrate or well, they avoided arbitration, but he has always bet on himself. And that's another thing with Andrew. It's, you know, here's a guy who always thinks he can improve every year and, and, and would take the one year deal or the two year on arbitration and, and go with that. And um, yeah, I just think, uh, you know, the, the two sides couldn't meet in terms of the dollar figure. Um, I don't think term would have been an issue. I think the jets would have liked to have him because of what he brought to the team. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, you got to fit more than just one guy in and the Jets have some big decisions coming up this summer um, in terms of contracts and, and possibly even in terms of making a big move here to kind of maybe shake up this core um, after, a, you know, what's been a very 
uh, underwhelming season here in Winnipeg. It's the the flat cap era has changed things for sure. so many teams, and the Rangers are included in that. And right now they're flush with cap with cap space, which is why they were able to bring on all these rentals at the trade deadline. But next season is when things are going to get really tight for them, and they 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 have a fine like a, a very finite amount of money that that they need to use to determine what they're going to do at second line center moving forward. They were trying to negotiate with Ryan Strome. They weren't able to get anything done before the trade deadline. And, and you mentioned that five to five and a half range. I think that's what they were trying to get Strom to land in. So yeah. what Rangers fans now are wondering, I think, is could Cop potentially fill that second line center role? I, I think we need to see how he fits and how he plays in this short sample size that we have coming up in the regular season and the playoffs. But it sounds like you're saying that had the Jets been willing to go to, let's say, five years at five or five plus million that's yeah. that's what he was looking for so you you would maybe figure that that's about what it would take if the rangers decided they did want to resign him yeah and i i do believe that yeah you know that that is around the range that we had heard here in winnipeg that he was looking for um and and so you know i i think too and maybe that's another thing and i'd be interested to know i'd love to be a fly on the wall in contract negotiations with with Chris Jury and 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 Kurt Overhart, who is Andrew Cup's even agent there, um, because here's what the thing with Andrew Cup always wanted to in Winnipeg was to play in the top six consistently, right? And and so if he had the opportunity and knew he was going to be signing with a team that was going to play him in second line center, which is you know this is the position that Andrew Cup has wanted here in Winnipeg, it's always been difficult for him because it's it's been Mark Shifley and Brian Little. Before that, and then Pierre Luc Dubois, they brought in obviously, um, and so it, you know it's hard to crack that when you have those two centers. I mean, the big strength of Winnipeg's team has always been their spine down on the forward, uh, up uh, up top on up with the forward. So um, it, it, he never was able to kind of you know f- make that permanent switch into a top six role, um, just because of the glut of talent that Winnipeg has in those spots. Um, but I think, you know, it would be interesting to know if Andrew Kopp would take a little bit less if he knew that's the role he was getting, right? Because, again, in Winnipeg, it was always difficult for him. And I think part of the thing, too, in Winnipeg was, you know, he didn't know where he was going to play um, if he signed long term. I'm not sure if that would have made an issue if the Jets would 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 have, you know, fronted the money that he wanted. Um, but I'd be interested to know in New York. But you know, and I think that's where you know, if if there is money there for New York, and 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 you guys, you know, are, are wanting a second line center, um, uh, I, you know, Andrew Cop's a good fit in my opinion. I just don't know. You know, the one thing that they always say about a second line player is that you got to be productive. And Andrew Cop, you know, his his top season is thirty nine points. Um, I think now he's up to I want to say. He's up to about 34 this year now. 35, I think. 35 now. Yeah, I've written it a lot the last few days. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I know he had a couple points last night, if I'm not mistaken, too, or on on Tuesday night there. So um, that's, I guess, yeah, I I guess that's the decision that you have to make. I mean, here's a guy who hasn't always been, you know, is Andrew Cobb potentially a 60-point player on a second line? Um, can he get there? Uh, and, you know, depending who we play in, in the middle of in New York there, can he get there? And if you think he can, I think on, Andrew Kopp thinks he can, he just hasn't been given that kind of opportunity at a, at a steady rate, um, then, yeah, you know, I would be very interested to know if Andrew Kopp would sign there. And, and 
Well, I'm not interested. I think he would sign there. I just, I, I'd be interested to know if he, if he takes a little bit less um, or if it's not in that, you know, maybe it's at the lower end of that $5 million scale. Um, if he was, if he knew that the opportunity to play in that top six was right there for him to take. Yeah, it's an interesting question, but I really think the Rangers are undecided. I think they love what he yeah. can bring, what he can bring this year, and he he's not going to play second line center right now with Ryan Strom in the picture because Strom right. has has you know great chemistry with Artemi Panarin, and Strom is is much more, a much more productive offensive player. Cop is a much more well rounded player, better defensively, better on faceoffs. I think plays more of that two hundred foot game that Gerard Gallant values, but. At the same time, my question would be if if you gave him a second line role, which would likely be playing with Artemi Panarin because Chris Kreider is entrenched at left wing on the top line with Mika Zibanejad, yeah. playing with Panarin is prime real estate for any <laughs> for any center. But yeah. does he have the playmaking ability that Strom has to be able to mesh with Panarin? Because Panarin needs a guy who he can play off of in the offensive zone. And, yeah. and I don't know if cop fits that role. That's an interesting question. We, we probably won't see them try it this season, but based on what they see from cop in other roles that will give them valuable information toward making that decision of whether if they can't get something done with Strom and if they can't find another option, it, it does cop end up as sort of maybe the fallback plan for them because they know they can get him in the price range that they're looking for. I, you know, then you have to wonder, okay, is he a second line center on a Stanley cup caliber team? Because right. that's ultimately where they're trying to get to right now. So I, I don't know if the answer to that question is yes. I think we're going to be watching closely to try to figure that out as best we can in, in the coming months, but it's an interesting conversation that will continue moving forward. And, and it kind of leads me right into uh, one of the final things I want to ask you about here. And yeah. that is the direction of the jets. And I do believe <laughs> that if the Rangers were to move on from Strom, if they can't come and find good middle ground with him and he hits free agency, that they would be exploring a lot of different trade options. And I believe that one of the guys near the top of that list, if he was available, now I don't know if he would be or not, but if he yeah. was available, would be Mark Shifley. So yeah. I'm curious from your perspective, I guess number one, do you see the Jets sticking with this core or do you think this is heading for a blowout? And number two, if they were to move in the latter direction, what do you think? Do you think Shifley could potentially be available? I, I think that's the big offseason question uh, that the Winnipeg Jets have. I think that's going to be the biggest thing that happens here for um, Kevin Chevalier off this summer is are you going to move a guy <clears throat> like a Mark Shifley? And, you know, it, it's an interesting here because, you know, at the beginning of the season, you would have been like, no way. Like, you're not trading this, you know, Mark Shifley point-per-game player, you know, perennial 30-goal scorer, that, you know, all that stuff, right? Like, why would you trade him? He's He's got a, a fantastic contract for what he has. There's two years left. He keeps the window open for Winnipeg. Um, you know, those were all the things that we were talking about going into the season. Um, obviously, the season didn't start off the way the Jets wanted to. Well, it did. It did. It started off 9-3-3, and which was a franchise record. Um, and then it just went completely down the drain. And, you know, a lot of, you know, the, uh, over time, over, you know, the middle months of the season, when he got into the December and the January, it became very apparent to many onlookers, including the fan base here in Winnipeg, that Mark Scheifele wasn't really giving it at all. Um, there was very, uh, there was a lot of nights where he was unengaged, you know, disengaged from the game. 
And it was told, you know, uh, somebody said to me that one of the things that happened with Connor Hellebuck this season was also maybe true of Mark Shifley, where, you know, when the Olympic dream kind of got dashed for everybody that was on that, you know, either on that bubble or, or, or obviously, you know, pegged to, to, to a spot, a lot of guys had a bit of a, <clears throat> let's say, an emotional letdown, if you will. Um, and, you know, it was, it was mentioned to me that, that Connor Hellbuck was one of those that it, it took some time for him to, to rebound from that. And then Mark Shifley was in the same boat. You know, it was, it was, it was, that one was tough. And the other tough part for, for Shifley and, and guys like Blake Wheeler and some of the old, you know, the guys that have been around here forever, um, <clears throat> is when Paul Maurice stepped down as head coach here. Um, which I think was a big blow to this team um, in, for, you know, on, on, a, on a grand level um, when you're kind of your head coach has been here for eight years, basically says, you know, I can't do this anymore. These guys are essentially, they need a new voice, which is, you know, I read as they're, you know, the guys just aren't listening to me anymore, but they, all, these guys like Paul Maurice quite a bit. And Mark Shifley was one of those. I mean, you know, part of the reason for that was Mark Shifley was pretty much untouchable in this lineup, even with his, defensive, uh, I, let's say, deficiencies. Um, but those have been exacerbated a bit more down this kind of, uh, well, at least in the, to get the Jets in the position that they're chasing a playoff spot now. Um, and so you wonder if it's just maybe time for Mark Shifley and, and the change of scenery. And here's a guy, you know, this was the first draft pick for the Winnipeg Jets when they returned from Atlanta. Um, he's been a huge part of this community. He does all sorts of different things, whether it's golf or whether it's, you know, children's, uh, you know, kids sport is a, one of the things uh, it's called here uh, that helps, you know, kids uh, that maybe, you know, are less fortunate to play. Huge part of the community, Mark Shifley, right? Um, and, th and this is a team that's very loyal um, to its players, very loyal to, especially some of the guys that have been around since day one, since, you know, the Jets came back 11 years ago. And so I think that's the big wrestling part here is that you can get a very good return, I believe, in the summer for Mark Shifley. But where does it leave your team? All right. And, and that's what you still got two more years of him. But you just looked at Mark Shifley's game this year. And it's like, yeah, he just doesn't seem to be as engaged. And maybe that's because the Jets just weren't winning. But, you know, here's a guy that's supposed to be the guy that helps you get out of the rut that you're in. And at times he wasn't able to do that. And then it just seemed like he was kind of, kind of lost and maybe you know again i'm kind of speculating on this one but maybe he just you know thought it's time for me to, to go um and so i think that's why a lot of people around the league are kind of wondering if mark shifley is going to be available this summer because that's kind of been the talk recently um he wasn't ever going to get moved at the trade deadline because i don't think that's the right time to do it you're just not going to find a contender that, that that can take him on and the jets aren't going to want to retain any salary or anything like that um, but in the summer, I, I'd be interested. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the Rangers would be in a long line of, of suitors for Mark Shifley's services if, if, if he is to be available. And, you know, some might look at that here as, you know, kind of blowing up, you know, this team. I, I'm not sure if that would be the case. Uh, you know, there's been times this year that you wonder if you had somebody else at center, um, would this team be in a better spot? Because, you know, it would, you know, if you had another Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, sort of player playing that top line center. And that's one of the other things that the Jets have realized this year is that Pierre-Luc Dubois is very good. Um, 
he brings what you want to this lineup every single night. He plays all the roles that Mark Shifley plays. Um, and, and that's not to say you, you don't want to lose a Mark Shifley, um, but you you have a 23-year-old in Pierre Dubois that seems far more engaged and far more bought in to the, what Winnipeg's trying to do here than a 29-year-old Mark Shifley, a 28-year-old Mark Shifley. So, yeah, it's one of those things where do you kind of sell high on the guy and try and retool without, you know, setting your team back, you know, a, a couple of years by just getting picks and that sort of thing. It's going to take a hell of a return, in my opinion, to move Mark Shifley. Um, and so, you know, the team that, that wants him obviously is going to have to, you know, he's going to have to pay quite a bit. And it's probably going to be, you know, a, a relatively good roster player in return um and and whatever else but you know i i think that op that window is opening um i think a lot of people uh here in winnipeg i mean there's been talk even in canada from some of the pundits uh here about you know if, if this is the time for maybe mark to go um I, i'm not sure that's what mark wants i i think this year was it's been a tough year for for everybody in the jets dressing room with everything that they've gone through with all the coaching changes the coaching change, which is which was huge for this team, I, I think it's understated often because Paul Maurice was here for so long. Um, you know, I think Mark Shifley is the type of player that really needs this season to end and just get away from the game for a while. Um, but you know, it, it's because of the way that this season has gone, and because of the way that you know maybe the adversity wasn't met with. Uh, you know, a certain level of you know leadership that you would want from your alternative captain, one of your alternative captains, that has kind of you know started as a as you know kind of faint whispers of maybe they should trade Mark Shively to more. Just kind of this is what we're talking about. I'm on a podcast right now, you know, talking about it with you know you in New York, um, who has kind of you know heard maybe that that's the same thing too, right? And so. That's where it's kind of gone with Mark Scheif, right? It's gone from we would never trade this guy because of how much value he brings to the team, how good he is, it's point, perennial point per game, but all that stuff too, you know, is would this Jets team actually be better without Mark Scheife? And what are the implications of that? What does it mean for Blake Wheeler, who those two have been like super tight um, throughout their career here? What does it mean for the rest of the room when you pretty much toss a stick of dynamite in there? Um, and, you know, really shake up this core on this team. And what does it mean to the window where this team figured they had about two to three year window to win the Stanley Cup before the likes of Wheeler's contracts and Shifley's and Hellebuck's contracts, all those expire. Um, and, you know, you seemingly that window starts to shut, right? Because you just don't have, you know, basically two thirds of your top line and your Vesna winning goaltender. And so that's the interesting part here is can Kevin Shovel day off work some sort of magic where you you could trade Mark Shifley and make this team better. And that's, I guess, where the toss-up is. And, and, and what does making this team look better look like? Is it, is it getting a player that's not going to get down when you get in a rut? Is it getting a player that is going to be more engaged on night, but maybe is only a 70-point player instead of, you know, an 80 or 90-point guy? It, that's kind of what you wrestle with. And this is going to be, we've said this year over year that for, for Kevin Shovelev is, going to be as big as summer ever, right? But I think this summer is pivotal in a sense that are you going to move a pillar of your team because it might make your team better in the end 
but it's going to not look like that because you're trading away a guy that's been so, so good for this franchise, you know, really up until the last maybe year or two. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it, uh I, I don't envy Kevin Shoveldale's position on that one because that's a tough one. But uh, yeah, I think New York and and you know probably thirty one other teams would want uh, Mark Shifley on their team, especially given the contract that he's he's working on right now and two years left on it. So some some term on that too. Um, he really fits a lot of needs for a lot of teams. Um, and you know if Mark Shifley is playing engaged, uh, he's he's an unbelievable player. Um, you know that's the thing that you know you go from you know, what he is this year, which you wouldn't say elite, but if you look back to years in the past, and I'll look to even the 2017-18 Stanley or the Western Conference Final, Mark Shifley was dominant, dominant player, right? Mark Shifley can take a game over and win it by himself. And we've seen that in glimpses here this season for Shifley. When he wants to do it, he will do it. Um, it's just a problem right now is that that want hasn't always been there for, for Winnipeg and, and probably for Mark too. And, uh, and that's where, you know, we've gotten to this point where, yeah, we're starting to question whether or not um, that's a good trade option for Winnipeg. Yeah. A lot, a lot of layers to it, as I'm sure you guys oh, can man. tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's, I, I, you know, I think the contract thing is appealing to the Rangers. It's a little bit, they're really tight. I, I think preferably they would get a guy who starts with a five, but I think if sure. you can get, if you can get a guy like that, who, would I think help take this top six to the next level? It, was he 6.1? Something 6.1, like that. 6.1, 6, yeah. 7, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think they could probably stretch it for a guy like that, which puts him right on their radar. And when you talk about the return, the Rangers, I think very consciously with this trade deadline, were okay with giving up their draft picks, but held on to pretty much all of their top prospects. The only real prospect they traded was Morgan Barron, who Winnipeg got. But I think it it had reached the point where if you were ranking the Rangers prospects today, he would probably be in that like 10 to 12 range. So he wasn't, he's not a premium prospect for them. So they have, they have the ammunition to, I think, consider going all in on a deal like that. It, it, It might be guys that, you know, need development time might still be a year or two away from the NHL in certain circumstances. So I don't know if it would be the, the guys that would impact the roster where you would look at Winnipeg and say, okay, they're a better team now after making that trade. But I, I do think it's something that they would definitely engage in. Who knows if they'd find common ground to make a deal, but it sounds like, like your inkling uh, is that it's a possibility, maybe not a, a definite thing, but yeah, you're nodding a, a possibility. Yeah, so. it's a possibility. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, that's the thing, like, you know, that's where he never would have said this at the beginning of the year, but you know, now I think it is, yeah, I think it is a possibility because he's the contract that you can move that you, that you know, you're not moving. You know, there's a lot of guys on Winnipeg. Kevin Sheldon has been very good at, at contracts. I mean, Kyle Connor, who's probably could hit 50 goals this year, is making seven million a year. Nikolai Ehler is one of the most dynamic players, I would say, in the NHL, um, is only making six million a year, right? Just over that. So, you know, but those two aren't going anywhere. And Blake Wheeler's contract is pretty much immovable right now. I mean, here's an aging guy making eight and eight point two five million. Um, that guy's not going anywhere. Mark Shifley is, is the contract that you would be. Um, willing to move, I think, in this because he's the guy with, again, that, that is going to help. You know, he he's a guy on a, even on a cap. You know, a, a tight a team that's tight to the cap. Uh, you know, a, a, a cap team will still try and find room for Mark Shifley because it's not nine million dollars; it's only six, right? And then so 
it, it's 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 possible to do that. And like you said earlier, I mean, yeah, you know, the Rangers might want a five million dollar guy, but you make room for a guy like Mark Shifley if you can get him. All right, Scott. Well, I thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. This has been we talked to hit on a lot of stuff, but I think very interesting <laughs> stuff. So we appreciate the time. Before I let you get out of here, I want to let fans know where they could find your work. Yeah, WinnipegSun.com uh, here in uh, up here in Canada. Um, on Twitter at Scott Billick. Um, pretty boring uh, Twitter hash or Twitter uh, at uh, there, but uh, yeah, you can find the work there. Um, usually talking about all things Jets, of course. Uh, yeah, but we do yeah. dabble into other other NHL markets from time to time because you know in Canada here we think we know everything about hockey. So, <laughs> so anyways, yeah, well, but yeah. <laughs> I'll be sure. I'll be sure to share that Twitter handle, and if you guys want to go read about Cop or Shifley, uh, definitely go check Scott out. And Scott, thanks again for the time. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate it. Thank you. And we're back. Thanks to Scott for taking the time to come on the show during what I know is a very busy week for any reporter who covers the NHL. I can speak from. Personal experience, having barely slept on Monday and Tuesday, finally catching up a little bit today on Wednesday. I thought the Rangers might practice today, and they ended up taking the day off, which I have to be honest with you guys, I was pretty thankful for. So I've been able to really just do the podcast and hang out with the baby and I'm making dinner for the family tonight. And for the first time in, I think, about three weeks, I am not writing at all today. So that is a relief. Feels nice. Need a day like that every once in a while to refresh. So anyway, I know Scott was supposed to be off today too, and he took time to come on the show, and I appreciate that. Long conversation, but I I found most of it interesting, so I didn't really want to cut much of it. Sorry if it dragged on a little longer uh, than some of you might have liked, but especially not just hearing about COP, but the Shifley stuff I'm really intrigued by. And I think Scott, if you guys were following him during the trade deadline stuff, he was one of the first guys reporting on what was going on with COP and I believe that he was one of the earlier guys in the day who said that he thought things were heating up and it was looking more and lo- more like the Rangers were a possibility. So the Shifley stuff, it seems like he thinks it is a real possibility for this summer. And I think the Rangers will definitely be one of the teams that are interested, which perfectly leads us into, I think, what was the most frequently asked question this week. And so there's a lot of people that asked this question, whether it was in the thread that I put out there soliciting questions for the podcast or just in general, a lot of people were asking me this on Monday and Tuesday. And of all the ways that it was asked, I had to go to our boy Big Lou. I I thought he asked it in a pretty interesting way, so we'll read his version here. He wrote, How would you rank the following from most likely to least likely to be the second-line center next year? Strom, Cop, Summer Trade Acquisition. So that's a really tough question to answer, Lou. And I'm going to start by breaking it down and then I'll try to remember to give my rankings at the end of it. And I want to start with Strom because we had talked a lot about Strom on this show. I wrote a column about it a couple weeks ago saying that this guy was the big X factor for the Rangers as they are weighing what decisions to make at the trade deadline and what kind of salary cap maneuverability they're going to have moving forward. So the fact that they did not get a deal done with Strom before the deadline was not a surprise because, as I told you guys before, I was hearing that they were making a push to try to get a deal done with him back before the new year, like November, December kind of time. 
And I think that the Rangers were hopeful that they would be able to get him to take somewhat of a hometown discount and stay in New York for five, five and a half, maybe at most close to $6 million a year because he loves it here and his chemistry with Artemi Panarin and how his career has been reborn in a lot of ways here. And they figured if they could get him in that range with an AAV that starts with a five, they'd be hard-pressed to do better than that in that price range if they were to take their chances in free agency or trade or what have you. So I think they were hopeful that, that they might get something done with him, but ultimately it it's pretty obvious they weren't able to get that done because if they had been able to, they would have had it done. Strom, I think, I really do believe, is still very interested in staying here. I think ideally he would like to stay here, but I'm sure that his camp feels that they can do better than what the Rangers were offering, and that's why you did not have a deal. And I think those talks cooled down for a pretty decent amount of time now, and the Rangers' focus in the last month or so has been the deadline, and that does not bode great for Strom's chances of re-signing. It's still a possibility. I, I think uh, some people reached out and were like, does this completely rule him out from being in New York beyond the season? I certainly would not say that because I do believe that both sides still have some interest in getting it done, but it's definitely less likely than I thought it was a few months ago. It's been this roller coaster with Strom where a year or two ago, everybody seemed to feel that inevitably he would get traded at some point. Then it hit this point, especially early this season, where he was playing well for the third straight season and the Rangers were rolling and you're starting to look at how much money they actually have as far as cap space looking ahead to next season. And the Rangers can't afford a Tomas Hurdle or somebody who's going to get paid seven, eight million dollars a year. They can only afford somebody who's going to be in that five to six range and that's why Strom began to feel like the right choice because if you could get him to agree to those numbers, then then you know you've got your guy, you know he's proven here, and you don't have to worry about stretching yourself to a point where you're going to have to make other cuts or do some crazy cap maneuvering to, to make it all work. So I still wouldn't completely rule out the chances for Strom staying here, but the fact that they didn't get a deal done before the deadline tells you that they are not in a place of common ground right now. So I think I would move Strom's odds of sticking lower today than I would have a month or two ago. Again, it's up and down. It's up and down. We won't know till we actually have a final answer, but right now today I'm feeling less optimistic than I was earlier this season versus two years ago when I thought inevitably he was going to be gone. So it's kind of, again, been like a roller coaster ride. But today, because they didn't get anything done at the trade deadline, I don't think that's a great omen. As far as Cop, a lot of people are asking, did the Rangers acquire him with the hope of signing him to an extension? The answer as of today is no. They acquired him as a rental. Again, they knew, looking ahead to their cap situation, that they were really kind of limited to looking at rentals as far as this year's trade deadline was concerned. If they if they were able to get a center with term 
who fit their price range and they could envision as a second line center type of guy for them moving forward. I absolutely think they would have entertained that, but it was much more realistic for them to, to target rentals for now and then worry about the center question this summer. Cop, I look at as this being sort of a period of trial, exploration, trying to figure out exactly how this guy fits in this lineup. Now, he's not going to get a chance to play second-line center with Strom here and healthy. So you'd probably ideally like to see, could he mesh with Artemi Panarin before making that final decision? They might not get to see that, but they will at least get to see how he performs in this market, how he fits with the group, how he fits in the locker room, and get an up-close look at him game in and game out for the next, at the time he was acquired, 19 games, now 18 games of the regular season, and then the playoffs. This is all going to be very relevant information for the Rangers as they look ahead and decide, is this a guy that we would like to keep? Because if they commit to keeping him, and and Scott just told us that's probably going to cost you about $5 million, which they can afford, But if they pay him that, he's got to be the second-line center, unless Philip Heedle is doing it. One of those two guys would have to play second-line center because if they decide to give, they basically have room to sign one guy this summer outside of re-signing Kako, re-signing Sammy Blay, and finding a backup goalie. They really only have enough to do one more move. And if you decide the cop is going to be that move, You have to feel comfortable with him being your second-line center unless all of a sudden Philip Heedle catches fire in these next couple months and and gives you the confidence that he can do it. But right now, the confidence isn't there that Heedle would be able to fill that role. So, Cop, we asked Chris Drury about it the other day. He basically said, you know, we're going to be evaluating like we do all of our players, which is a politically correct answer, but I also think it's the right answer. I think it it would not be a smart move for the Rangers to say, hey, we just traded for you. We want to sign you to a new deal right now. I think they need to see how this works. They need to see how much they like him when they have him in their building and on the ice with them every single day. And if he inspires the confidence that he can be the second-line center, then maybe you do consider re-signing him and trying to make him the guy. But right now, I don't think that confidence is fully there. As Scott explained, he's more of, I think, a really good third-liner Is he a second liner on a Stanley Cup caliber team? I think people I've talked to have their doubts, but he is still ascending. So we got to see how this plays out. But, you know, my other main question with him, I think, would be you love the defense. You love the faceoff percentage. You you love that he can kill penalties. You love that he works hard on the four check. You, You see that he can contribute points. You know, maybe he could max out and be a 50, 60 point a year kind of guy. But does he have the playmaking ability, the offensive upside to really work well with Panarin. Because I think Strom, you could point to some flaws in his game, but he is best as an offensive player, and that has worked really well with Panarin. So my question with Kopp would be, if you're going to keep him as your second-line center, that likely means he's playing with Artemi Panarin, and does he have the kind of game that would work well with Panarin? Can they work off of each other in the offensive zone? Does he have the playmaking ability and the vision and the wherewithal and the skill to hang with a guy like Panarin, who we know has oodles of that stuff? So that's kind of a question with Cop, and I don't know if the Rangers see him as definitely an answer there. So I might say 
At this point, I would rank Strom slightly higher than Cop with the open mind to give Cop a chance to change our minds in the next couple months if he plays really well here. And to be honest, the most likely outcome at this point, I would probably say slightly. I think all three of these things are possibilities, but the, if I had to pick one right now, I would say the most likely outcome by a hair is the trade acquisition. And I think Shifley is a guy near the top of that list. I think if the Detroit Red Wings were willing to entertain trade offers on him, I would definitely be interested in making a call on Dylan Larkin. I think if the Vancouver Canucks were interested in dealing either JT Miller or Bo Horvat, I would definitely be interested in checking in on those guys. If the Seattle Kraken were willing to talk about Yanni Gord, I think I would definitely be interested in calling about that guy. But we don't know how available these players are. Like, it's easy to speculate, but actually getting those deals done is going to be much more difficult. Number one, those teams are going to have to decide that they're ready to move on from those guys who we know are quality top six level players. And then number two, the Rangers are going to have to cough up a really big package to get them. But again, as I touched on in the beginning portion of the show, Drury held on to his top prospects, some of them because he really likes them and they envision them eventually being key parts of the team, like Schneider and Offman. But then there's a lot of other guys who they didn't want to give up now because they want to have them as ammunition for a later date. And that very likely is going to be aimed at solving the center problem if they end up moving on from Strom and if they determine that Cop isn't the right guy for them. So that's a long-winded way to answer your question, but I, I think those are all important topics to consider. And that second-line center question, make no doubt about it, that is the number one lingering question for the Rangers moving forward. This summer, that is going to be what everything else revolves around. So we'll definitely be talking about this again in the future, I'm sure. All right, let's get to our next question, which, which comes from Al Giordano, who wrote, Igor has been pulled twice recently. Is this cause for concern or an anomaly caused by poor defensive play in front of him? Gallant doesn't seem concerned, but he's notoriously protective of his players. That he definitely is, Al. I think it's a relevant question right now because we had been used to Igor for months playing at this godlike level, at this level that was not only worthy of being talked about in the Vesna Trophy conversation, but people were talking about him in the Hart Trophy conversation. Those talks have cooled right now. I think he's still the front runner for the Vesna, but the Hart stuff, I think, has taken a little bit of a back seat for the time being. And that's because if you look at the last five starts, absolutely, there's no doubt about it, the Rangers have played some really crappy games in front of him. The game in St. Louis, the first time he got pulled, I think was, was to me, probably the worst one that I've seen. The, the turnovers in the neutral zone, the major breakdowns in the defensive zone. It was just ugly. And we know that the Rangers, they have a tendency on certain nights to get into these bad habits. Gallant last night, and he stressed this many times, was stressing that he just saw them trying to make too many of, he always calls them the cute or the fancy passes that lead to turnovers. We saw Adam Fox have a turnover up near the blue line in the offensive zone that led to the Jersey Devils' first goal on Tuesday night, and it just seemed like the Rangers were constantly turning the puck over. It also felt that way in that game against Carolina on Sunday, even though they won that game because Alexander Georgiev had maybe his best game ever as a Ranger. But Igor's play 
with all that being considered, knowing that the Rangers have hung him out to dry in a lot of situations, I still do feel that a lot of these saves that he was making earlier in the year that would make your jaw drop and that would cover up some of those warts from the Rangers, he's not making them as frequently right now. So is that fair? Is that a fair standard to hold him to, to say, hey, if you're not stopping shots that 95% of other goalies don't stop, then you know, you're, not, you're not playing well? No, that's probably not fair. But we can also at the same time acknowledge that he's not quite at the level right now that he was earlier this season. If you look at his save percentage in the last five games, I added up the numbers on Tuesday night, it's 878. Now, of course, some of that blame goes to the defense, but it also shows you that, again, he's not making the outrageous saves in those high danger situations that he was consistently making, spoiling us, quite frankly, earlier in the season. Now, do I think it's cause for concern or not really? Do I think it's cause for panic? Absolutely not. So, I'm sure what we've seen from Igor this season, that he will find a way to right the ship. And I'm sure Gallant is going to give him the opportunity to do that. So my my main point in answering this question from you, Al, is no, I, I don't think this is anything that we should be getting too worked up over right now. But I also think that if we're being objective, we can acknowledge that he hasn't been quite as good, which again, we're talking about a spectacular level. He has not been at that level recently. And now an important thing for the Rangers in this next month or so is to get him back to that level, help him find that game. Whether that means playing more or playing less, they have to figure that out. I I do think he can use some rest, and I do think that they should be careful of overusing him. But he also hasn't played a whole lot in this last week or two. They've found more spots for Georgiev. It, it, It doesn't feel like... It's a burnout thing to me, and Gallant shot that down on Tuesday night. But, you know, they got to be careful. they got to find the right mix of giving him enough work to get him back to his sharpest level, but also not, you know, you can't play him in every single one of these final 18 games. You want him to be fresh for the playoffs. So it's something to monitor for sure. We'll see how it plays out in the next few weeks. But again, certainly not any reason for panic. All right, final question comes from Davey Upper, who wrote... And again, actually, I said earlier that the cop extension was the most frequently asked question this week. Might be a tie between that one and this one. Davey wrote, first overall pick, Alexi Lafreniere was playing good these last few games coming into his own. Do you think benching slash dropping him to the fourth line continuously to which Gallant has done could mess with a young player's psyche and confidence? Well, my first response to this would be continuous, I don't think is an accurate statement. If you look at his usage in the last two months, he's consistently been on the top line. And I don't think I can recall a game where he got benched for an extended stretch. Definitely not this month prior. Definitely not in February. Maybe I think it's January. I looked it up actually last night. It was like January something was the last time when this happened. So it's not like it's happening a lot. So I would I would caution everybody on the overreactions to this one game thing. Now, with that being said, did I think that it was fair for him to basically, I think it was in the last 27 plus minutes of the game, he only got three shifts? No, that was excessive in my opinion. I, I don't fully understand why Gallant would do that. 
I asked him after the game why he did that. And as you guys know, as we talked about in the show, I know we talked about it extensively last week too, he's not going to throw his players under the bus. So I was fishing for him to explain what Lafreniere did wrong that he didn't like that caused him to sit him. He's he's usually not going to answer that question. That's just his MO. You understand what he's doing. He's trying to protect his players. He doesn't want to be outright critical of them, at least not through the media. So I wasn't surprised that we didn't get a straight answer on that, but reading between the lines a little bit, Lafreniere has a four-game point streak going, so obviously he's doing something right uh, in the offensive zone right now. He did have an assist earlier in that game, which is, I think, why a lot of fans reacted to it even more harshly because you just watched the guy make a nice play that led to a goal, so you're wondering why he gets benched later in the game, and that's fair. But if you look at the way that second period unfolded, two of the Devils' first three goals, that top line was on the ice for. And Gallant's not going to bench Kreider or Zabanajad. So unfortunately, Lafreniere is the guy who is probably going to get picked on the most in those situations. And if you look at the two goals, the first one in particular, which was uh, Ryan Graves had like a long shot, Igor gives up a rebound, and Tomas Totar ends up kind of slamming at it and, and pounding it in. Lafreniere was right next to him and didn't make much of an effort to move him. And Gallant said after the game that he thought one of the Rangers' biggest issues was that they weren't clearing the crease. They were letting guys hang around the net a little too freely. So maybe that play Gallant didn't like. I don't think that I would only blame Lafreniere for that goal. I think the Fox turnover was the biggest contributor to that goal. But maybe that play was a play that the coach didn't like. Obviously, that line did not have a good second period, but nobody on the team had a good second period. I also don't think, though, it's totally fair to characterize it as singling out Lafreniere. He also didn't play Dryden Hunt or Ryan Reeves much at the end of that game. But of course, fans, because as Davey pointed out, this guy's a first overall pick, which certainly, from my perspective, makes it more of a story. It stands out much more when a guy like that gets benched. But I, I, I don't think this is worth getting too worked up over because, again, it hadn't happened since January. So for the last two months, he's gotten a lot of ice time. He's had a really extended run now on that top line. I, I don't think that I would make too big of a deal out of it yet. Let's see what happens in the next few games. If he's right back on the top line for that Friday game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, then, you know, you don't look at it as, as much of a big deal. If... All of a sudden now he gets dropped and his ice time is cut down and that confidence that we saw him build in the last couple months takes a big hit. Well, then I think it's something that you might be a little bit more critical of. But one game when the whole team played so poorly and the other thing that you should consider here is that I think Gallant really wanted to give Vetrano and especially Mott and Cop a chance to play some significant ice time, get to know their new teammates a little bit, be used in different situations. He wasn't going to bench one of those guys. So somebody had to take the hit. Lafreniere ends up being the guy. I don't think this is like a habit that's alarming at this point. It was one game. Again, let's see what happens moving forward. If it were me, my opinion is that he should keep him on the top line. He does have this point streak going. He has mostly played pretty well up there. Although I think that line has been a little less consistent than you would like them to be. But I would still I would still let it keep riding. But even if he does, let's say, move him to the third line, even that to me wouldn't necessarily be the end of the world because with the depth 
that the Rangers have accumulated now at the trade deadline, in theory, they should be using their third line a lot more than they were using it earlier in the season. So if he gets dropped to the third line, I also wouldn't just panic about that right off the bat. I'd want to see how much use they get. If they're paying 10, 12 minutes a night, then okay, then you're saying, all right, what's going on here? But if that line is going to get 13, 14, 15, at most maybe minutes a night, you know, that's some pretty valuable usage. And, and I really think that moving forward, the Rangers should be rolling three and really rolling all four lines, not completely evenly, but much more evenly than they were earlier in the season. So let's see how this plays out. I know a lot of people were up in arms about it last night. I certainly thought it was a questionable decision, but it's a one game thing. And they, before that game for a two month period had really given Lafreniere a lot of leash on that first line. And I think given him a pretty, pretty serious opportunity. So continuous or saying this is a habit, I'm not going to go that far yet. Let's see how it plays out from here. All right. That's going to do it for this show. Jam-packed show, loaded show. So many other questions I could have hit on. Sorry if I didn't get to you guys, but I appreciate all of you. We will be back next week with another show. The trade deadline is in the rearview mirror. So now it's going to be all about gearing up for the playoffs. So we're going to hopefully line up some cool stuff for you guys in the coming weeks. But for now, I'm going to go enjoy the rest of my, I guess we'll call it a half day off. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your week, and I will talk to you soon.